Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Uh, if you uh, have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it to Proverbs chapter 1, the Old Testament. And if you don't have one, you want to use one, you should find one available uh, down in one of the chair racks around you. Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, perhaps you've heard that uh, we're starting a series today called Life Hacks. Uh, have you guys ever heard of that, Life Hacks? Have you heard of them? Um, it's a pretty popular thing right now. Uh, the terminology, uh, it's interesting, the terminology was originally coined in 2004 by the California tech community to describe, using the word hack to describe how, how to do certain computer tasks uh, more skillfully and efficiently. Uh, but over the last decade or so, the idea of a hack has kind of exploded onto the cultural scene uh, and expanded to include any and all areas of life. And so at this point, a life hack uh, is defined as any technique or strategy adopted to manage one's daily life and activities in a more skillfully wise and efficient manner. So this was kind of a new thing for me. So I want, I want, to, uh, I want to show you some examples of this. Uh, just a quick disclaimer, uh, I'm not endorsing necessarily all of these hacks. I just want to show you some of the top, yeah, maybe some of you know what some of them are. Um, I want to show you the top trending hacks right now, life hacks on the internet, okay? So take a look at these. Okay, so you see why I don't necessarily endorse all of them? I don't know about running around with a fire extinguisher, but I have tried the one on the phone when you get in a loop and they're asking you questions. I haven't cursed at anyone, but I just mumble. If you mumble, just say, they will immediately put you to a live person. It really works. So that's um, the Reiki version of it. So anyway, uh, you, get the, you get the gist now, what these are, right? Uh, so here's the thing. Although the terminology is new, uh, the concept is not, because hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God provided his people with what I would call spiritual life hacks, commonly known, more commonly known as proverbs, wise counsel, insights, uh, strategies for skillful living. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some of those. In fact, I'm inviting all of you, I'm inviting everyone, everyone in the church to uh, read with me uh, one chapter of Proverbs every day. And over the next five weeks, as we go through the series, uh, we, you will be able to finish the entire book if you do just that. So I encourage you to do it. And because I'm encouraging you to, uh, to read all this, I feel a need to uh, tell you a little bit more about all this proverbial stuff. We have over 500 Proverbs in the Old Testament attributed, uh, attributed to King Solomon who uh, scholars consider to be one of the wisest men, if not the wisest man who ever lived. But a number of other uh, bright, uh, insightful people also contributed to the Old Testament text. So throughout the book, subtitles are used to identify uh, who's doing the writing in any particular section. But no matter the author, all of the Proverbs are, are intended to dispense to us wisdom for skillful living, i.e. spiritual life hacks, if you will. The collection begins this way in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, the Proverbs of Solomon, son, uh, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right, just, and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So uh, I know this is, this is true for me, and I'm guessing it's true for all of us. 
that there are times in our lives, there are these moments in our lives when we just do really dumb things. You know, we make ill-advised decisions, we act in rash and senseless ways, and, and what I have found in my own personal life is that the book of Proverbs offers to help me reduce the foolishness uh, that I experience and, and, and bring on myself. And so I want to do a quick over, uh, overview of the book for you this morning. And in, in doing that, uh, I'm going to share an awful lot of information, which is kind of ironic because um, in Scripture, wisdom is not, it is not about acquiring information. You know, for us today, like never before in the history of our world, we, we in, especially in Western culture, are just overwhelmed by information all the time, right? Not to mention our ability to access information at any, any moment. But accumulating uh, information doesn't necessarily make us wise. Because wisdom isn't really about education, it's not about a high IQ. Biblical wisdom has to do with the ability to make right decisions. Uh, it's very practical. Uh, it's about discerning what is the good, healthy, God-honoring course of action to take in any given situation. In the same way, foolishness in Scripture uh, is not about IQ. A fool is not someone who lacks intellect, information, or education. A fool, a fool is someone who has a problem not with their mind, but with their will. It's the person who rebels against God, ignores what he says is true about himself, about us, about our world, and about living well. With that being said, here, here's the wonderful thing about the Proverbs. They take the ageless wisdom of God and simplify it for average guys like me, uh, which I'm grateful for, and which means all of us, all of us can benefit from these spiritual life hacks if we recognize the kind of teaching they involve. Because if we don't, then they can end up being just very frustrating. So let's talk about, let's talk about what a proverb is. Now, there are, very, uh, there, there are very, um, a lot of very different kinds of statements in Scripture. Most of us realize that. And it's easy to get these statements mixed up. So, for example, there are, in Scripture, there are laws. These are commands regarding things that we're supposed to do and those things that we're not supposed to do. Uh, there are promises, you know, guarantees of what God will do or what will happen. And then there are proverbs, catchy descriptions of what's generally true and how life works a majority of the time. And to ensure that we're on the same page with this, let's do a little exercise. I'm gonna give you a scriptural statement and you decide which one of these it is, okay? So here's the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Is that a law, a promise, or a proverb? You think it's a law, right? Are there exceptions to the command? No, no exceptions. We are to love God with all that we are and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. How about this one? Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that a law, a promise, or a proverb? That's a promise. It's a good one, right? Any exceptions to the statement? No, not at all. God's love and grace for us is here. It is now. It is forever. And what about this? Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Law, promise, or proverb? It's a proverb. Are there exceptions to this statement? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? The reality is sometimes people work really hard uh, with very little return on their effort. You know, for example, in the midst of a drought, uh, a farmer can, can do the best that they can and, still, and work hard, still lose, lose their crops, lose their food, lose their income. 
On the other hand, there are dreamers out there who win the lottery, strike it rich without lifting a finger. So here's the point. For the sake of interpretation, it's critical we understand. Proverbs are not laws, they're not promises, they're not formulas to ensure success in farming or gambling or parenting or finances, relationships or or careers or anything like that. Proverbs are astute observations and clever uh, descriptions of how life works most of the time. And they come in a variety of forms. Uh, The term proverb comes from the Latin proverbium. It literally means uh, forward words or or words put forth. And the Latin uh, reflects the original Hebrew term that means the same thing. The term mashal means to, to, to speak forth with authority. And that authoritative speaking uh, can be done in a, in a number of ways, including short, compact statements, uh, poetry, parables, riddles. Uh, it can carry the idea of taunting or making fun of something. I mean, the Hebrew has a, a very broad range of meaning, which explains why Proverbs come in so many different forms. And so what I've done is I, I've tried to, I tried to categorize these forms um, to help us get a, a better sense of their variety. But uh, this, is not any, this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, just so you know that. This is sort of my Ray K summary, okay? So first of all, a lot of, a lot of the Proverbs we have in the Old Testament are written in the form of Hebrew poetry. They come in um, parallel couplets. Uh, that kind of writing was very common in the ancient Near East among writers. This is how it works. An author makes a statement and then repeats it in a slightly different way to emphasize the same thought. For example, in one instance in Proverbs, Solomon, uh, he's writing as if he is wisdom personified. And so wisdom says to the reader, choose my instruction instead of silver, my knowledge rather than choice gold. What's the meaning? That wisdom is priceless. It's more valuable than silver or gold. It's more valuable than anything. We need to get it. Solomon uses two parallel uh, statements to convey one simple idea. Sometimes a writer will drive home a point by setting up contrasts. For example, uh, Proverbs 9 says, do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Or there's this one. One person gives freely and yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Uh, In other instances, certain Proverbs offer comparisons, you know, by way of, We have analogies, similes, uh, colorful words and images. Uh, Here's an affirming one. Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. Here's a more disturbing image. Like a little bird that strays from its nest is anyone who strays from his home. And here's a gross one. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools return or repeat their folly. You've probably heard that one before. It's a pretty well-known one. In some instances, uh, a proverb will just come right out and offer sound advice, like, uh, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Now, there's nothing, there's nothing particularly creative about that statement, is there? And yet, think of, how, think of how many people have destroyed their lives and their families and their relationships by ignoring its simple wisdom, that, that pursuing money and, the, and, and, and gaining more and more and more of it, that becomes a priority in your life. It's, it's destructive. Sometimes a proverb is humorous. Like this one, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it'll be taken as a curse. 
It's true. Here's my Reiki translation. Go knocking on your neighbor's door at four in the morning just to say hi uh, is not going to go over very well, right? It's going to kill your popularity in the neighborhood. Or run through your, your hall, the hallway of your dormitory at five in the morning saying, God bless everyone. You're not going to have too many friends. You may even get cursed in, in, a, in a whole other sense of the word, right? Uh, here's, here's a proverb that I think is funny, yet very practical. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you and they will hate you. <laughs> That's true. That's good advice. Or how about this one? Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the one who holds their tongue is wise. Translation. A fool doesn't know when to shut up. They just run their mouths, run and run and run it, and their, their mouths and their words get them in trouble. Sometimes proverbs aren't humorous at all, but represent very serious warnings. Like this, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. A pretty clear and serious warning. Sometimes a proverb is surprising to us. Like, um, like this one, the righteous care for the needs of their animals, but the, the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. In other words, the way we treat our pets reveals truth about our character. Sometimes a, a proverb is inspirational, like this one. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone forever, but the righteous stand firm forever. Along the same lines, the writer says, the prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. Sometimes proverbs are just, just you know, brutally honest about the difficulties of life explaining how even in laughter, the heart may ache and rejoicing may end in grief. Sometimes a proverb is more cultural in nature and, and you have to sort of, you have to tease out its meaning. Uh, for example, Proverbs 24 says, put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Now for us today, we would, we would look at that and we might respond, man, that's weird, that's kind of backwards. That's wrong. That's backwards. I should build my house first and then worry about the garden, right? But in ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, outdoor work, farming, was income producing. House building was income draining. So the meaning of the proverb essentially is don't spend money that you don't have. Or if we were to rewrite it today, we might put it this way. Make sure you get a job before you get a Jaguar. That's sort of my Ray K version of that one. Sometimes Proverbs come in the form of a dilemma, which makes sense to me because they're all designed to make us think, and some just make us think a little bit more than others. Take this one, for example. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Now, initially, that seems weird to me. Uh, answer a fool, don't answer a fool. Which is it? It seems uh, at best confusing, at worst contradictory. Well, the reality is it's neither. The writer is simply presenting a dilemma, a dilemma that comes when interacting with a foolish person. Because essentially you can't win because there's no, there's no practical cure for foolishness. So while in most cases it's unwise to argue with a fool, it's just a waste of time, there may be instances where refuting and rebuking a fool may be necessary because by being silent, by saying nothing, it looks like you're agreeing with their nonsense. 
In short, dealing with a fool can be a very tricky dilemma, and how you go about it may differ according to the situation. You see why, I mean, I love the Proverbs. I love them, and I appreciate that they're just, they're, they're, they're real, you know, they're practical. They're not laws, they're not promises or easy to follow formulas. They don't trivialize our existence by promoting recipe type living, they just don't do that. Instead, they reflect the down to earth, you know, everyday complexities of life. And more than just reflect, reflect those things, they offer advice on how we might navigate those complexities with God honoring wisdom uh, and discernment. Now how the writers uh, of these texts got, <clears throat> got so wise, well, I'm guessing much of it uh, was learned from a lifetime of experience. You know, they were all fallible people, just like us. I mean, Solomon certainly wasn't perfect. But they also trusted God, and they pursued his wisdom, and they were open to his wisdom. And, at, at, you know, at times they messed up, like everybody, and they learned some hard lessons. They observed their successes and their failures, as well as the successes and failures of others. And being inspired by God, they wrote their discoveries down. They collected them, they archived them, uh, just for us, so we can learn and gain insight from them as well. And to be sure, you know, there are Proverbs dealing with all kinds of topics. I mean, we could go on and on. We could go a year looking at topics. Take, take communication, for example. In Proverbs, the writers are very aware of the power of words. There are, Proverbs, uh, th there are probably more Proverbs devoted to human interaction than any other slice of life. In fact, here's, a, here's one good summary of communication. Proverbs 18 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, those who like to talk a lot uh, will produce either good or they will produce evil. It's true, right? When you think about it, if we're careless with our words, we can do some serious damage. We can crush a person's spirit. We can shatter somebody's dream. We can fill others with resentment. We can cause people, even our children, to be afraid or feel insecure. On the flip side, when words are used carefully and responsibly, uh, someone who thought they were useless can feel loved and valued. A person who's ready to just give up on life gets infused with hope. The confused person gains clarity. The weak finds strength. The sad are made happy. Words can bring life or they can bring death. This is the wisdom of God. Another major topic in Proverbs is humility. Or we're warned by Proverbs 11, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And let me tell you something about this. Those two issues, pride and humility, man, are, are serious themes in this book, serious themes. In fact, if you trace them through the collection, what you discover is that, is that arrogance and this, 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 this feeling of being superior to others, man, it is not an attitude God honors. It is not something God honors. In fact, consistently the Proverbs say that the proud fall, the proud fail. They ultimately disgrace themselves. But to the humble, God provides mercy and guidance. See, throughout the text, pride and foolishness are seen as one and the same. They're one and the same. While humility and wisdom also go hand in hand. And we're told that wisdom begins by humble reverence of God, humbly re revering God for who he is, recognizing who he is, acknowledging who he is, worshiping him for who he is, obeying him as our creator, as he alone deserves. 
For those of us um, with professional careers, don't miss this, Proverbs addresses uh, commercial integrity. Proverbs 11 says, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Simply put, God uh, expects honesty in economic transactions. You see, scales and weights that are used, the terms used here, refer to the way ancient Near Eastern merchants would measure out goods uh, and calculate prices. Weights would be marked with, with certain values. But dishonest business people would, would cheat their customers by having a light and heavyweight marked the same. That way they could use the lightweight for selling goods and the heavier weight for buying goods. Basically they were scamming people. They were ripping people off. And the fascinating thing to me about this particular verse is the direct reference to God himself. Because if you think about it, Solomon is, Solomon is, is speaking about just this, this everyday commercial transaction, right? He's not talking about some lofty, you know, spiritual reality, and yet he makes it very clear that God detests, he is repulsed by such dishonesty. In other words, God concerns himself with economic activities. And Solomon is saying, hey, understand business person, God is watching. And he desires to see honesty even in the smallest details of human life, personal and professional. A greed is also a consistent topic in the collection. Uh, here's a really interesting statement. Psalm 30 says, the leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. What does that mean? You know, what is that supposed to mean? Well, for one, uh, just so you know, there are a lot of proverbs that come from observing nature. And obviously this is one of them. And this one is about bloodsuckers, right? That's not the technical name, I realize that, but that's what leeches do, Yeah? They attach themselves to your body and they feed off you. And the leech never says, hey, let me offer you something in return. No, they just want to suck the life out of you. Leeches are all about getting, 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 getting for themselves, self-feeding, gorging themselves till they can take no more. And the image here is of needy, greedy baby leeches screaming, give us more, give us more, give us more, give us more. Pretty good at leech imitations. <laughs> I knew you'd be impressed. But that's the image of greedy baby leeches screaming, give us more. What is the author doing? The author is saying it is entirely possible for human beings to be like immature, greedy leeches where we're all about getting for ourselves, all about consuming for ourselves, all about feeding ourselves and getting fed and getting filled. And you know what? I mean, let's be honest about it. How true is that? We live in perhaps the greatest consumeristic leech-producing culture the world has ever seen. The messages we're bombarded with, the, the commercials we see, the lifestyles that are glorified and lived out all around us, they all produce and promote a, a very selfish, consumeristic, me-first neediness in us that says, give me more, give me more, I want more, I want more, I deserve more. We're never, ever satisfied. On the flip side of greed is generosity. Proverbs 19 says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they've done. I don't know if that sounds familiar to any of you, but perhaps it should, because one day when Jesus was talking to his followers about, about feeding the hungry, about um, 
offering water to the thirsty, about sharing our stuff, our homes, our clothes, when he was talking to them about uh, you know, giving financially to the temple and, and about visiting the sick and those who are in prison, he said this to his followers. He said, I tell you the truth, whatever you do for, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, it's like you did it for me. Translation. Compassion, kindness, and radical generosity are all very good things. And when we do those things with our lives, when our lives exhibit those things, when we are compassionate or kind and radically generous, it's like we're given directly to God himself. That's how he sees it. Proverbs talks a lot about relationships. Uh, here's a very interesting statement. A quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. <laughs> now, before you rush the stage, uh, get upset. Uh, here's the thing, everybody, first thing everybody wants to know, does this proverb apply equally to husbands? Short answer, no way. <laughs> no possible way. <laughs> I could say that because my wife's coming in the next service, just so. Of course it applies to husbands. It applies to husbands and wives. See, while the verse references a wife, it's simply offering a universal, non-gender specific relational piece of wisdom about how a person who is quarrelsome and picky can be incredibly annoying. Now I gotta tell you, you know, there are times in my life when I can be really, a really annoying person. And I know it's hard to believe given this innocent face. But I can't, I can't really be that way. And if you, if, you, if you were to ask my wife or you were to find my kids and ask them, they're grown up, but they'll tell you what it was like. You know, they'll tell you, man, dad could be really annoying at times, just incredibly. Because sometimes you come home at the end of a, of a long day, you just kind of have this inner irritation, you know, and you start, I just start looking for something to complain about and I always find something. And I start, blah, 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 yeah, blah, blah, you know, and, and Margie would put up with a, she'll put up with it for a while and then all of a sudden she'll say, man, you are being so annoying. And that just causes more annoyance, you know. Uh, uh, but eventually, eventually I end up realizing, you know what, she's right. And I, I have to apologize for my, for my foolishness. But whether you're a, a, a man or woman, a husband or wife, son, daughter, brother, sister, the, fa the, the point here is that being quarrelsome and annoying isn't helpful to any relationship. So again, the proverb applies to all of us. And just to demonstrate proverbial e equity, check this one out. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. So trust me on this. Divisive people are not gender specific. Proverbs advises all of us, men and women alike, that in our families and in our friendships, even in our churches, we have the opportunity to nourish community and, and intimacy, or just tear it apart. Tear it apart because of our own selfish, consumeristic, quarrelsome foolishness. And I think we all know that that's true. So, you know, I could go on and on talking about Proverbs. I really love them, but here's the, here's the deal. The, this book is an amazing collection of divinely inspired spiritual life hacks, offering insight on how to live wise, healthy, productive, and godly lives. And so over the next couple weeks, we're gonna look at a few of them. But I just today I just felt the need to do a basic overview of the collection. I realized I threw a an awful lot of information at you. You know, Hebrew, Latin, poetry, parallelism, leeches, all of the above, you know. And, uh, but I gotta say, it's important we set a foundation. 
I did it because it's important we set a foundation on which to interpret and understand these statements. Why? Because as Solomon puts it, like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Think about that for a second. Isn't that true? Could a person who is just hammered drunk, you know, do some damage swinging a thorn bush at people? Absolutely they could. And so can a proverb if it is foolishly misunderstood and misused. They require some thought and discernment. So I'm going to invite Donnie and TJ to come back up on the stage with me. And as they're coming up, I just want to, I want to ask one final question. Why do you think we need uh, such a vast collection of Proverbs? There's one very important theological reason. Here it is. People are foolish. We all are. Now, that's not the whole truth about us as human beings, but it's part of the truth, right? I mean, how often do we, do we keep doing things over and over and over again that we know God says are unhealthy, that they will hurt us, they'll destroy us? We just keep doing them. It's crazy. And so it's essential to our spiritual life, to our spiritual growth, that we come to see our sin and rebellion as foolishness. I mean, understand, God gives us he gives us wisdom and direction on what is good and bad, right and wrong, helpful, not helpful, safe and unsafe, not because he's a killjoy who wants to prevent us from experiencing any fun or pleasure in life, no. Out of love, he wants what's best for us. He wants us to know joy and health and peace and fun and pleasure. And it's sin that ultimately destroys those things. It's sin to ignore God and what he has to say. And to do so is just plain foolish. And it comes with consequences. And that's a key truth the Proverbs are trying to teach us. But here's the good news. They also teach us of the grace of God. And that when we fail, and we all do, and we all will, but when we fail, forgiveness is possible. As Proverbs 3 tells us, God shows grace to the humble. Translation, God's unmerited favor is available if we simply admit to our own foolishness. And the greatest demonstration of his grace is Jesus. And so in the next few minutes, we, uh, we just want to remember what Jesus has done for us. Because if you think of it this way, Jesus came and he lived the life we could never live, the perfect life. No foolishness. The perfect life we could never live. And then he took the consequences of our foolishness. He paid, he paid our, the price for our foolishness. He died the death we all deserve to die. And through his death, through his resurrection, through his life, God's grace is offered to each of us. And if we believe and we embrace God's truth, God's grace in our own lives, we find forgiveness. And that's where wisdom starts, really, knowing him. So we're gonna just, we're gonna remember Jesus. Uh, and the way we're gonna do it this morning is we have, we have four stations in each corner, one in each corner. And we're, we're gonna invite you, when you feel ready, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna sing some music, play some music. And when you feel ready, when you feel God is prompting you to do so, you can just go to the station next to you and you can serve yourself communion. It's in tincture, you can just take the matzah, dip it into, into the cup and, and receive it, and then return to your seat. 
Um, now, if, you, if it's too difficult for you to get up and go to one of the, uh, the stations, just raise your hand. We have some folks who will have the elements and they'll come and they'll serve you right, right where you are. But uh, we wanna give you some space. And, and, and as you do this, think through what Jesus has done for you because when we admit to our foolishness, the, 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 the fact is this, God gives, God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And that grace comes through Jesus. So why don't you stand with me, and I'm going to pray, and then as you feel led, you can come and receive communion. As we've already prayed, Lord, you are a good father to us. You provide all that we need. Every good gift is from you. And the greatest gift of all is Jesus, who came and lived a life we could never live, died the death we deserve to die so that we might have life that we might experience your grace and forgiveness. And so we want to take these moments to remember him and to celebrate your, your grace in our lives. And Jesus said that as we receive the bread, it symbolizes his body given for us. As we, as we taste from the cup, it's a reminder of your blood, Jesus' blood spilled for us. For th- where there is no where there, where there is no sacrifice, there is no forgiveness. So thank you for Jesus. And now we, we worship him and we, we remember him through this communion time. In his name we pray, amen. I want to thank you for uh, joining us this morning. You can all be, you can all stand with me, and we're going to be dismissed here in a second. But I just want to make sure, I want to make sure we're we're clear on this. This idea of being a Christian is not about you making better decisions or being a better person or getting things right all the time. Uh, who who does that? That's not human. The fact is, as as human beings, we tend to do foolish things. We tend to ignore what God says is right and good and healthy and best for us, i.e. we sin. And so our, even our best efforts can gain us nothing. God says it is the humble, those who admit to their foolishness, that grace is offered. And that grace comes through Jesus. And believing in him and experiencing and embracing God's grace, that's what it means to be a Christian. And because that is because that beats the idea of having to work our way into heaven, that's what makes the news so good. That's the good news. And I hope, I hope you guys understand that. Um, so following the service, if you have questions about that, you want to talk to someone down front, some of our, our prayer uh, team folks will be down here. Or maybe you're just, you're going through a season in life where you're, you've made some foolish decisions or you're facing some really challenging ones and you just some, want someone to pray with you and for you, they're here for you as well, okay? Uh, Also, I invite you to come back next week as we continue with the series, and we're going to take over the next few weeks, take a look at some of the topics uh, that Proverbs speaks to, some very practical things, and I think you're going to find it really, really helpful. Um, So thanks for coming. I'm going to pray for us. On your way out, don't forget, uh, families, stop by um, and sign your kids up for summer camp. It's going to be a great, great fun time for the kids this year. It starts in two weeks, so make sure you sign them up. All right? Let me pray for us, and then we're dismissed. And now, Father, I pray that as we leave this building, as the church goes back out into our world, may we live our lives with wisdom. May we live in such a way 
with such generosity and grace and kindness and compassion, not, not to feel better about ourselves than everyone else or not to look like we're just trying to you know, be better than others, but because that's the way you've asked us to live. It's the good way to live. And as we do so, may our lives point people to Jesus, that they too might experience your grace, the grace that comes from you, our Heavenly Father, who is so, so good to us. Now may your hand of grace and peace and wisdom rest on your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.